it's a joy to be here with you guys. Um, you guys are a sweet group of people to come and chill with and to just be in partnership with. So to to be able to serve in this way as Paul's, um, you know, across town or wherever he is, um, it's just been, it's, it's cool to be here. So with that, um, let's just open up in a word of prayer. I don't have a lot of time. To me, 40 minutes isn't a lot of time, so we got to get to the nitty-gritty of it. Hopefully this makes some sense. This is where it's been on my heart recently. Um, I'm not going to do a canned sermon unless I feel changed within the moments of um, this prayer time. So Father God, thank you for the fact that you've enabled me just to get here from the traffic and the craziness of NASCAR. God, I thank you for just bringing me here safely. Pray that you would just continue to work within your people, continue to, um, as we sang, just your spirit would be alive, your spirit, we'd be aware of your presence, God, and knowing that your presence is there to change us, make us, mold us, cause us to be more like your son. And so God, we're asking that your word would not return and void, your word would do what it's promised to do, and that would be to equip us, that would be encourage us, that would be to challenge us, Lord, and we thank you for the fact that we get to be in uh, the house today and just to worship you through um, the song through the fellowship and through the word. So God, I pray that you would cause me to be less and that you would be all the more. In your precious name we pray, amen. amen. Um, I'm gonna deal with, with this topic that's been heavy on my heart in the sense that I'm trying to motivate a group of people, like I told you before, to love marginalized folks. Um, people who are obviously church folks, people who are saved, people who are mature in their faith, walking with the Lord. I want them to have this heartbeat for the things that cause God to move. And I'm challenged because we have three foster kids with us right now, and we are so glad that they're leaving. We are thrilled to death that they're getting the heck out of our home. And so I'm right there with the struggle. My wife is like, oh, we need an end date. We got to get out of here. And we're like, oh, we're going to miss the trip to Italy. Oh, how horrible. So I'm right there with the comfort theology that I speak so much against and knowing that God has not caused us to live a life of comfort, that I'm not going to please God just when it's convenient for me. And how do I love in such a way where these precious ones that are getting on my nerves that I cannot spank, that I cannot deal with the way I would like to, because selfishly, I think spanking just makes me feel better sometimes. And it's like, yes, we've done this, and you're now going to fear me the way you should and act properly. I don't care about your heart change. I just want proper behavior modification at this moment. But I know that's not necessarily the heart of God. And so I wrestle with this. I wrestle with my, my, my bio kids saying, hey, I know she can be annoying, but God has called us to love. Because guess what? You are annoying. I don't always say I'm annoying. I just say because you are annoying sometimes too. And I point out all the ways that my son is being annoying. See, that's how you are too. So love her correctly. And so the struggle, I'm here with you on this. And I want to tell you something that I don't think is going to be You've never heard it before. I think it's very scary if you hear a pastor say something that you've never heard before. Either you don't read your Bible or something's probably wrong with the message. But I believe because we have this homogenous day that we are made in the image of God because we have this intrinsic value, dignity, and worth that we all then have this sense of um, meaning and purpose. And get me, this is not some Christian self-help kind of American sermon you're going to hear. I don't even know if I can do that. Um, and so I hope you hear that this is meant with a lot of love because I'm right there with you. Um, I was in a church recently say, you just seem so angry. I'm not angry, but I, I come across maybe being angry. So I hope you see that I come across as passionate 
when I speak about something. Not angry, I'm just passionate. I, so there you go, you know. So I want to tell you this because when I heard John Piper do this sermon, it revolutionized and changed my world. Number one, God is pleased with us. C.S. Lewis, whether you like him or you don't, he's got some good stuff. It says, the weight of glory, it's book, it says, believers one day will have a weight of glory that will be so heavy we can't even imagine bearing this. It'll be that good, like, wow, the glory of God is here. It says, um, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in an artistic delight in his work or a father and his son, it seems impossible that a weight of a burden of, um, of glory which thoughts can hardly sustain, meaning this, the number one thing God makes us, that he's pleased with us and the ingredient of his divine happiness is that he's like a painter looking at his painting and going, look at what I've just done. God is pleased with you. God makes us fellow heirs with him. Ephesians, God promises to serve us. Blessed are those servants from the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve with them. Luke 12, 37. He doesn't just serve us at the last supper where he washes, you know, the disciples' feet. Fourth, God appoints us to judge angels, which has to be one of the most trippiest things ever. Because the angels says are longing, looking down and saying, you save them? Literally, we've done things that angels were cast out of heaven for. So as we appointed to judge angels. God rejoices over us. Matthew 29, 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the, um, the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable, more valuable, <laughs> you are more important than many sparrows. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. I love this one as a singer. A mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Number six, God will make us shine like the sun. Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him. He will subject all things to himself. I was listening to, um, oh man, what was her name? She's in a wheelchair, Johnny Erickson Tata, and she talked about the paintings that she does. And she has, I didn't know, I did not know that she was this accomplished, like, writer and all these amazing things. And she goes, people think, that, oh, I long for this. No, I long, she goes, I long for heaven with a new body. God will rule the world through us, Revelation 3.21, <clears throat> Ephesians 1.23. So let's be loud and clear, God makes much of us. God makes much of his son's bride in the sense that he would sit, kill his son to pay the price for his bride. Loves his church with a kind of love that honestly just displays his glory. Glory meaning this. It's his beauty, his love, his power. When you talk about glory, it's the wow, that's God. His glory is shown. So for the last 15 years, it hasn't been two decades. I'm not that old. It hasn't been two decades. I stopped pastoring in 18 years. Um, I have worked with marginalized communities, meaning this, I traded the beach house, I'm born in Ventura, California, to go to the hood. That was what I kind of started serving as. I first was in kind of like the Ventura, you know, beach Christian circle, my home, it was great, glorious. Um, but then God seemed to move me into working with orphanages in third world or developing countries, whatever the PC term is, with isolated parts of the um, population, 
um, people that were in crisis economically, typically, um, and people that, for the most part, were just really messy. The main gig that I have right now is we help marginalized people. <clears throat> we, we come alongside churches really to say, hey, we want to help you to serve marginalized people within your community. We'll do this by helping to shelter kids um, in your Christian godly home so they can experience Jesus across the kitchen room table. And then you hand them back to their bio parents, God willing, and the process begins that way. But lately, as you know, I've been working with commercialized sexual exploitation of children, um, anti-sex trafficking for minors. I told you before, 210 kids go missing a day in the state of California. SB 1042, that was a bill in the state, in the um, California Senate. And some of you are like, oh, a bill. Well, we have these bills. I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff, but recently I have been. I've been paying attention to what happens in Venetia. I've been paying what happens, you know, within my county. I've been paying with mainly that just because I'm selfish and they want to create homes in my open space, and I'm not down for that. So I'm very concerned about what's happening in my open space. But it's caused me to realize, wow, there's all this stuff happening that I'm just not aware of. I don't know why, but my parents always watched the news. It was on like, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock news, and maybe because I hated it, um, I don't ever watch the news. But I'm blown away that all the stuff that's happening. And right now, SB 1042, it did not pass. And I don't know if you know this, but human trafficking is not considered a serious or violent crime in California. Children as young as 12 years old are raped, beaten, burned, murdered, branded with tattoos, drugged, and caused, um, you know, have overdoses. And the bill was seeking to have harsher penalties, and it did not pass. So my job is to motivate the church to answer the call of God to love kids who have been through this situation, possibly, to powerfully proclaim the gospel, yet powerfully demonstrate what I call the show and tell of the gospel. I said it before, I feel like we would reject prosperity theology, but we are all down for a comfort theology. They say if you repeat something long enough, it starts to gain traction, so I'm repeating it. God is not pleased with our comfort theology. God is not pleased with my comfort theology that wants to reign in my life. It wants to guide every decision that I make. And I think part of that theology helps, it's caused me to have an attitude that God desperately needs to deal with because if he doesn't deal with that attitude that I have from my comfort theology, from what I know, then how I feel, I will not be able to respond the way that God is calling me to respond, to call, respond the way God has called his people to respond. And that attitude is that of superiority, right? It's the those people. It's the them mentality. So that's why, you know, oftentimes we roll up our car windows when we see, I'm not saying there's not good reason sometimes to roll up your car windows when you see someone on the corner, but we just pretend to work our stereos. We pretend like we don't want to see it. Um, it's why I'm getting annoyed with the kids that God has placed in my home right now. I mean, my own kids annoy me at times. Let's be real about that. But, you know, that's a reality for me. So how do I deal with this attitude that I have? One of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody says, we are just beggars who found bread. And I was sitting in this conference and I thought, I don't really find myself to be a beggar. That's far from how I see myself. Why would D.L. Moody? I love D.L. Moody. I mean, the guy is just amazing. I mean, he started the whole Sunday school mentality, which was really, you know, 
school on a Sunday for the poor, you know, folks around Chicago so they can learn to read and write and all that good stuff. And I love Diamuda. I love the old heroes of the faith. I love those stories, you know, on one day over and what she did over in, like, China. I love those stories. I love, you know, the crazy William Booth. You have a Salvation Army thing right down the road here. William Booth and his craziness of what he did. I'm, like, blown away. Every single time we, we go away, my family, they're getting older, but who cares? We, we listen to these stories on audiobooks, and then God calls us to do something crazy. My wife's like, Maybe we should not listen to those anymore. I'm not, I do not want to gain, guilt you, or I was going to say game you, uh, shame you or guilt you today. God does not move his people, I believe, from guilt and shame. I want us to serve out of the fullness of God. Not out of the scarcity mentality that I think the world operates in. The world operates out of fear and mistrust, we operate out of covenant, we operate out of God's fullness, out of his abundance. You see, the world is about being, the world tells you, hey, you need to be great apart from Christ. The whole Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel thing, we'll make our name great. And God is calling Christians to live their lives in such a way where he would be seen as great because we are seen as awfully, to be really honest with you, as people who are desperately in need of him. So this social media Christianity where we always show the great vacations and how good we look and we just put this life that's really kind of, I don't know, maybe for me that's about 30 minutes out of my day. The rest is pretty, well, I'm sleeping or it's pretty like, whoa, this is ugly. God isn't really concerned about your social media Christianity that you're putting out there for everybody. I love Ephesians um, chapter 3, the last one. I think most people resonate with this. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. Who doesn't want God to do more than we could ever think or ask or imagine? But verses 4, or verses 14, the prior verses says, before he does that, he's going to use all of his riches to strengthen your inner being so that you may understand what the full, um, you be grounded in his love, that you may understand to comprehend the width, the height, the length, the height, the depth of his love. So God is using all his riches in glory to strengthen your inner being so that you would understand how great and how good he is and that you would then be moved in such a way that enables God to then live and fill you so that he can now do the impossible. We call that um, in Christian circles where God wants to come and make his, um, we say, you know, have his room in your life. You know, have room, take up every residence in your life. I have a great sermon on that. I'm not going to preach it today. Luke 10, you know this, the Good Samaritan story. They ask the great question of, you know, hey, how am I going to get to heaven? He says, love the Lord God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. But this is the thing. In order for you to love in this passage, for you to be, really qualify how you love, he says, then you're going to talk about your neighbor. And the neighbor here isn't the one that lives across the street from you that, you know, maybe for me doesn't move their car so the street, the street for, doesn't come and mo- move my side, clean my side because their stupid car is in the way so it has to go around and misses my section. And then I come with my, you know, water blower, whatever that thing is called, and I blow it back on their section and then... You know, that's not what he's talking about. That neighbor isn't really, you know, I don't really hate that neighbor. That neighbor just annoys me. This one is talking about the neighbor that you cannot stand. The neighbor that you despise. The neighbor that you're like, oh, those people. 
Because here the Samaritans were these half-breeds that they could not stand. They wouldn't even say who the, they wouldn't even say the Samaritan, oh, the one who showed the mercy. God highlights the marginalized here. And he says, well, good. They understood that love was costly. They understood that love is a sacrifice. They understood that it's going to require them to get messy. And he says, hey, go and do likewise. So my question is, how do I do that? How do I love in such a way where I know it's costly? I know it requires sacrifice. I know it's messy. How do I do that? And I believe it's my heart posture, right? My heart posture towards the broken. But maybe it's not just my heart posture towards the broken, those people, that we have a mutual brokenness. And so his quote when he says, hey, I'm just a beggar who found bread, changes for me when I realize that I am just a beggar who found bread. And I get to invite you now to come to his table, not my table, but his table, and you can come and be fed. And you can find wholeness. You see, living outside of Genesis 3 caused you to have a broken view of God self, and others. We don't see God the way we should. We don't see ourselves the way we should. And we definitely don't see others the way we should. So David, David in the Bible, you know, the little shepherd boy who's left behind, the adulterer, the murderer, the one who's called a man after God's own heart. This is what he says in Psalm 51 when he was caught in his, you know, bold sin. The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. We used to sing a song called, I'm not going to sing it, Brokenness, Brokenness, that's what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness, Brokenness, that's what you want from me. That song was written by a man who struggled with same-sex attraction. It first started off, though, he said, holiness, holiness, righteousness, righteousness. He understood his brokenness is a thing that qualifies him to come to the Lord. And so the chorus says, take my heart and mold it, take my mind, transform it, take my will, conform it to yours, O Lord. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the what? Brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Brokenness allows me to rest in him, in John 15, to abide in his love. Psalms 121, I think I shared this with you, the darkest moments of my life after I was shot and the medicine could not help and I was just living in absolute pain and it was just a horrible existence. Um, Psalms 120, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you who made heaven and earth. Just seemed to resonate with me. As I was in my state of complete, utter brokenness, could not do anything to help myself. Yet this verse reminds me of the fact that brokenness is a good thing before the Lord. And somewhere, though I read all those things about how, what God, he delights in us, that we will judge angels, I think we get caught in that part where we forget all the things that is true as well, that we are broken individuals. I realized when I got married that I was, wow, I realized I was really selfish. I realized I was pretty pathetic. And let me tell you, I had a pretty high view of myself before I got married. I was like, wow, I'm a stud. I'm a major catch. Getting married showed me, whoa, you're a hot mess, dude. Um, I don't even know if she's going to like you after the third or fourth week here. You know, and it was just like, wow, that's just reality for me. And, and I didn't go, okay, babes. Well, it's like, well, babes, this is me. This is me. 
And my wife loved me, and she taught me how to pick up some clothes, I guess. And like, here you go. And wouldn't life be better if you weren't so messy? I'm like, it is. It is better, babes. You know, and just the most basic things. And it really taught me how to not think of myself as much, right? So Paul is the, he calls himself the chief of all sinners, and I don't think there's some self-deprecating false Christian humility talk that we like to give. I think he was aware of his own sin, yet he was also aware of how good God is. He didn't have these cultural thoughts of levels of sin. He just says, man, I'm the worst of all of them. Grace is a humbling thing because it exposes our need and our lack, yet it also provides our provision. I think we live in a country, the more that I travel, um, I see that we are some very self-reliant, self-sufficient individuals here in America. So we don't have to ask God to heal this and do this and do that like they do over in Haiti, you know. I mean, one time we're doing this pastor's thing, and the guys are walking seven hours to, to come to this meeting. I would never do that. I probably wouldn't even walk if it was 15 minutes to get to this meeting. You know, I was like, are you kidding me? And they're just like, can you move it like uh, three hours closer? I'm like, you still want to walk? It's like, man. So though we've been blessed with so much, I think we have to be careful that in that blessing, we forget really who's done the blessing. So this is the passage that we're going to look at, Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. And I have literally like 15 minutes to get through this, I believe. Yes, I do. So it says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I'll make with you an everlasting covenant with my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall come, call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may, compa- may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a lot there. Brokenness, who's invited to this banquet? The text says the thirsty and the broke. The first kind of person that God invites you to come is the thirsty people who can't pay for what they need. So in this category, I love, um, this author says, you, you may have come this morning with a heart that is tired, a heart that is like brown grass on the hills around us a lot of times. It hasn't seen rain in a while. A lot of old hopes have dried up. Dreams have waited and have almost died dead in streets again and again, empty, unfulfilled, dissatisfied, knowing there has to be something more to life. But now everything that looks good is out of reach. No money, no strength, no motivation, but at least there is a longing, there's a thirst. And the Lord says, you're just the candidate I'm after. Come, everyone who thirsts and has no money, no resources, no bargaining position, no track record, no power, no prestige, nor pull. I live for those things, people. That's a scary thing. 
especially before I came to the Lord. That was my power, prestige, pull. God is inviting you this morning to enjoy the banquet of salvation. And then there's a second person in the passage. He says, hey, those of you that are self-sufficient, says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? So you have some money. You have some means here. Verse 2 says he talks to someone who has money, who has strength to labor. The first kind of person is spiritually bankrupt and, sh- and knows it. They are thirsty and broke. But the second person here, they've got money and they spend it. He has some strength and he's working. But what's the result? The text says frustration. Burnt out at the end of his rope. Nope, that's the first That's the first person, right? So he's still spending and still working, dreaming, chasing, searching, experimenting, has a different job, different city, different car, different house, different wife, new boat, new car, new books, new bike, new grill, new season tickets, new diet, new looks. There's still a lot of looking around left in this person, but still no pot at the end of the rainbow. I said that on purpose. No fountain of youth, and every triumph peters out, the applause fades, the boat is boring, the style passes, everything new gets old according to Ecclesiastes, right? When you are honest, there's a canon of need and longing on the inside. No matter how self-sufficient you look on the outside, God knows even better than you. He has you in mind when he says, why do you spend your money for bread which is not fulfilling and labor for dreams that do not satisfy? So two kinds of people are invited by the Lord, those who are thirsty and broke and cannot pay, and and then the thirsty who can pay and work their way to satisfaction. Everyone in this room, we're in two of those categories. I love the Samaritan woman, the story there, because it says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She understood eventually that he wasn't talking about just a, physical thing going on. And I love what, um, who's the man? What pastor says this? I should quote the people that I steal stuff from. Um, New York guy. New York guy going through cancer right now. Keller. Thank you. Keller just says, man, the reality when he was on the cross and he yelled, I thirst, that it's the thirst of our longings, those dreams that are unfulfilled, all those things. That this woman, her desire to be, you know, loved and wanted and all those things, that she's chased after this and chased after that, that God took all that on the cross. But water here, water is a good thing. Water, man, our state talks about water left and right. We understand the importance of water. My friends that are farmers, they get that left and right. My father-in-law, who's a farmer, he gets that left and right. Water is there. Um, when you are most thirsty, desperate, dehydrated, it's water that you want and nothing else. It's why Psalms 23 says he leads you beside still waters. He restores, refreshes your soul. The Samaritan woman, she encountered this when she, all her sin was brought forth. Milk, though, deals with what? Milk is what you give a baby to grow for nourishment. It's for the day in and day out situations. Wine, though, here is for the exhilaration of life. Um, It's the first miracle that Jesus did. I used to have a sermon called The Movement Begins at a Party. And the fact that, man, it's for the exhilaration of life. It's for God has made us to to jump and to shout and to sing and to dance. And and just there's nothing worse than Christians who are just have no life in them. 
when John 10 isn't real, he's come to give you life and life more abundantly. Not the Joel Osteen kind of life, but just there's something in you, some kind of joy that rises up even in the midst of ugliness. And you have this attitude that is just infectious because his love has been poured in your heart. So it just happens to flood out. The passage goes on to state how good and plentiful the water and the milk and the wine are. Remember when he turned water into wine, they said, ah, you serve the best wine for last. Because normally when people are drunk, you give them the cheaper stuff, not the top tier stuff. And so it's like, wow, what God does is good. The Bible talks about the riches of God's glory and the fullness of joy at his right hand. What God gives is best and it never runs out. Day after day, his grace keeps us. So I'm sitting at the table in Isaiah 55, a beggar who's found bread, and I'm able now to tell other beggars, oh, my goodness, you've got to taste this bread. It is amazing. Oh, my goodness, the ribs at this feast. Man, the barbecue sauce is so legit. The baked beans are just right on point. And if you love potato salad, they have, like, four different versions there. Like, you need to come and partake in the watermelon there. Whoa! Strawberries will blow your mind, dude. And I haven't even got to the dessert yet, bro. Come to this table. It's amazing. Man, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I literally, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm a beggar just like you. So I'm trying to understand how do I gain that kind of mentality as I deal with folks. Because brokenness is the mark that qualifies us to be used by God. Not our self-sufficiency. So brokenness can mean shattered, crushed, maimed, devoid of arrogance, disabled, crippled, distressed, fractured. Brokenness used on the scripture here is the same. It's a spiritual state by one is disarmed by one's self-dependence and pride. Therefore, leaving one in total desperate situation needing to cry out for God. And that makes him a conduit for the glory of God to be revealed. So let's be real, it hurts when you're going through some hard and difficult times. It's not pleasant. That's just reality. It's not fun. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't like making fun of, like, hardships when people say, oh, don't worry, he works all things out for good. Just, because I don't think in that moment when I'm going through the fire that I really want to hear that. I need someone to tell me, you know, so if some, some girl's place in the home, like, oh, God was right there when you were being, you know, what was happening to you. He was right there. He was right there, honey. He was right there. Oh, yeah, God is, oh, yeah. Now, maybe I could tell the person, man, God died for that. God actually has made a place that will punish that. Man, God was, God cried over Jerusalem. God wept when he heard Lazarus was dead. Why? Because not because Lazarus was dead. He knew what was going to happen. He cried because, man, the pain of death. You were never meant to experience that. But it is good to know that God has a reason to allow us to go through our pain and our suffering. We are saved for the glory of God, and God knows exactly what situations sometimes that we are under to make us more and more like his son. So I'm trying to learn what it means to really rest in his grace, what it means to be empowered by his grace, what it means to serve out of his fullness and not mine. 
And I would love to say the more that I learn about God, then the more that I get that down. But I've, um, I don't know, I've been reading the Bible, been studying quite a bit, and I still wrestle with that. So I think the reality for me is the more that I am real about who I really am and real about my own sin, that causes me to realize how great God is. And when I stop trying to, like, put the levels of, like, well, that's a really big sin over there, and this is, well, hmm, it's changing the way I see things. And I told you guys before, when I was saved, I'm a church kid born and raised in the church, and I was a Christian, just hot mess. And God so lovingly showed me his grace, the fact of, man, you need me because all you've done is Christianize your sin. All you've done is, you know, you just put a little Christian spin on it, but really, who are you serving? You're like the elder son in, the, in, the, um, in John, Luke 15. You aren't enjoying me. You might be enjoying all the good things I have, but you aren't enjoying me. So the older son, it's the story, in case you don't know the story, uh, the, the young son says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my money. And he says, well, okay, well, okay, he gives him this money. And he goes out and he just, I mean, he is wild and out. I mean, he is having a party left and right. He's doing it all. There's young people here, so he's just doing it all. And then he's broke, and he realized, I have no more friends. I would rather go back and, I guess, be a servant in my father's house. They have it better than I have it right now. And so he starts making his way, and the text says that God saw him from a distance and ran to him and really put his arms around him, gave him a robe, gave him sandals, gave him a ring, says, you're, you're mine. And we go, oh, and that's the thing. If you're lost, you pathetic people out there who are living wild and out, just, you need to come to Jesus. He's waiting to take your horrible selves back because we have such a loving, merciful, compassionate God. Come on back. And then the story goes on, the older brother is like, who, what's the party for? Why we, he's like, well, you know, your, your, your younger brother's come home. And he's like, well, and you're throwing a party for this joker? Like, what in the world? Like, you're giving him, that's my money now. What are you doing? And the older, and the older son's like, this is pathetic. This loser, you know, do you know what he was doing, dad? I, I, I do, I do. And then the father says, don't you understand? He was lost, but now he's found. Don't you understand? Son, you've always had me. And I realized that I'm like the older son. I'm looking at those with abortions and those with the LGBTQ and all that. And I'm making all these judgments on them versus and I'm like, oh, now they're going to come to the Lord. Okay, sure, whatever. Where I'm like the older son, he's like, you've always had me. I'm right here. But I realized, oh, I wasn't really enjoying you. But Jesus is like the older son who's willing to give up his whole inheritance for us. And the more that I realize what Jesus has done for me, the more it causes me to grieve my own sin and have compassion for other people. Why? Because I'm a beggar who just found some bread. I didn't make the bread. This ain't my house. It ain't my table. I didn't bring no some pork. I didn't do anything for it. I just happened to And when you have that mentality, I pray that that causes us to love a lost world in a way that will display the power of God. Now, if you have a weak view of who God is, then you probably will have a weak view of how you should love people. 
But hopefully when we sing these amazing songs that we awaken, arise, all this stuff, that's what God will do within us. And it will drive us to the most difficult and hard places. Not just to Africa or some Muslim nation where you might get killed. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, our brother got killed and over in Canada. Oh, I can't believe they here prosecuting him. That's horrible. Let's raise up all this money. And maybe we won't go to all our Christian concerts and pay $25, $30 and raise our holy hands. Like, oh, I felt Jesus. Oh, this is awesome. Man, this is amazing. Oh, Michael W. Smith is just, oh, man. I hate that music, but that's not the point. But that's not our Christian experience. And for some reason, when you're called to be a missionary, we're like, oh, I'll pray for you. You're going to such a difficult spot, and you might die for Jesus, and wow, we'll write a book about you. And oh, my gosh, and this. And as soon as we get persecution, we're like, what in America? What is this? Maybe God is calling us to live just as passionately, just as sold out for him as our brothers and sisters who go out and be missionaries in foreign lands. This is your mission field. You know, Judea, Jerusalem, uttermost parts of the world. You got you to do this at home. And so I'm just saying, please, please serve out of your brokenness. I'm trying not to do the front anymore. You know, how are you? Oh, I'm great. God is so good. I'm just trying to be real. Like, what? Oh, man, it's difficult. There's times where it's just rough, you know? Yeah, you can pray for me. Please do, you know? Hoping that that, you know, I, I, it's easy to wear a mask. And the beauty of the gospel is that it's like, hey, let's just take that off. And why don't you allow my righteousness, my holiness to be all that you really need? And it's a good thing, my friends. I love to eat. That's why I'm 280 pounds. I love, love, love to eat. So any passages that talk about food, I'm like, that's such an interesting, why would he use that metaphor? And it's a metaphor because we all, we all can understand that. We all understand what it's like to come to a table that's just decked out and good. And we're like, wow. And we sit there and we just go, I cannot believe, like, I go to some churches and they have a potluck on those Sundays and I look around and I'm like, see KFC and I see, like, other nasty foods that they bring. And I'm like, these people do not love each other. But when I go to a potluck and I see, like, I know the difference from homemade fried chicken. And when I see, ooh, oh, wow, what was that? That's a... Oh, a three-layer cake over there? Okay. Oh, is that deviled eggs with some bacon on top? Oh, Lord. And then I'm like, oh, man, it's macaroni and cheese. Oh, that's not out of the box. Oh, they love each other. Oh, man. And they sit at the table, and they just start to eat and just enjoy our Thanksgiving. You're like, whoa, look at this spread. I think God gives you those, 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 that imagery because it's like, hey, you understand that. So he's asking you to invite people to come to the table, his table, that is good. Thank you, Jesus. So with that in mind, let's just pray. That's what I'm supposed to do right now? Okay. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you are good, that you have every single good gift at your right hand, that you are giving it to your people. And Father, we pray that you would... 
that you would be the one to fill us, that you'd be the one to satisfy us, that you'd be the one that enables us to do what you called us to do. And God, I thank you for the fact that you're holy and we're not, but in your holiness, God, you're making us more like your son and that your holiness is, is there to really give us what we need because you're not lacking in any possible way. So, Father, we pray that we would just serve out of that, God, that we would be able to feast upon you and your goodness and understand the full scope of your, of your love, God, that you have for us and that you have for people around us, and that you would help us to see a lost world and the part that you want us to play in it, Lord. And God, that out of your abundance that we would simply serve. So God, we thank you for what you're doing, what you've done in our lives, and asking that you would just continue to help us be more aware of your presence. In your precious name we pray, amen.